pondering the past, exploring the future, working together for a brighter tomorrow. A Radiation Research Society podcast. I'm Julie Costanzo. I'm working at the Cancer Center Research in Montpellier in France. And um, as you probably know, I worked um, a lot about external beam radiation therapy on in vivo and in vitro study using proton carbon ions and photon. And now I am challenging myself and working on targeted radionuclide therapy. And today I have two um, two guests working on TRT, targeted radionuclide therapy. Hi, Roger, Roger Howell and uh, Jean-Pierre Fouget, welcome. Thank you. Hello, Julie. Uh, can you introduce yourself, please? So I'm Roger Howell. I'm a professor at Rutgers University. Um, I'm in the Department of Radiology and the director of the Division of Research, Radiation Research, the director of the Division of Radiation Research. That's for a recut. <laughs> so uh, my work involves the use of various radionuclides for therapeutic purposes. We're also interested in the effects of low doses of radionuclide uh, exposures as well. Then uh, I'm Jean-Pierre Pouget. I work in Montpellier in the Cancer Research Institute. And uh, I've been working for quite many years in external beam radiation therapy. And after that, I worked uh, in radiation protection about uh, ac accidental exposure. And uh, now, since 15 years, I've been working in targeted radionuclide therapy. And I run a team at an uh, institute which is called INSERM. And uh, the team is dedicated uh, to the development of uh, radiopharmaceuticals, and we are mainly interested in radiobiology of uh, radiopharmaceuticals. Okay, thank you. So, can you tell us about um, historical? Where where does the TRT come from? Where does the TRT come and, from? And what is TRT actually? We didn't define TRT. So TRT is targeted radionuclide therapy, but it comes under many, many different names. So there's RPT, TRT, lots of acronyms. So um, it's actually been around for a very long time, if you think about it. Uh, the most, one of the most successful treatments of cancer is the use of iodine-131 for treating thyroid disease. And in one sense, it is targeted. It's naturally targeted. So in that case, the uh, iodine acc accumulates uh, in the thyroid. And when you administer the patient the I-131, one ends up with a very effective dose to the thyroid tissue. And it, it indeed is uh, perhaps the most successful of all the radiopharmaceutical therapies to date. Okay, so is it the same with radioimmunotherapy? Um, I would say that with radioimmunotherapy it's a bit more sophisticated in a way because we use vectors that are directed against cancer cells. Then if we talk about antibodies, effectively we talk about radioimmunotherapy because of the antibody. But uh, there are drugs that have been approved and that are based on peptides like uh, in neuroendocrine tumors, then uh, yes, in this case, we talked, of course, about peptide uh, receptor radionuclide therapy, but they are a bit more sophisticated uh, approaches because people make efforts to develop the best uh, vectors for targeting tumors or microenvironment. I know that 
probably lots of people know about uh, dosimetry uh, in external beam radiotherapy, but how, what, what is the difference with uh, TRT in dosimetry? So in external beam, you have lots of control over the dose delivery. Uh, you have less control in the case of targeted radiopharmaceutical therapies. Uh, the cellular uh, distribution of the radioactive material becomes very important, uh, particularly because you generally have a non-uniform distribution of the drug when it's targeted to the tissue of interest. So dosimetry becomes important both at the macroscopic level and down to the microscopic level and even the subcellular level depending on what radionuclide you're using for your therapy. I know that we, are, we were talking a lot about uh, immune response and uh, targeted effects and non-targeted effects. How, how about in TRT, what, what is the targeted and non-targeted? Yes, yeah, I think that uh, one main difference is really that the features of the irradiation are totally different when we are in the targeted radionuclide therapy or even radionuclide therapy compared with external beam because as Roger said, it, everything is quite controlled in external beam uh, uh, radiation therapy, dosimetry is controlled uh, but also the irradiation is acute, it's an acute irradiation then uh, the biological effects are different but in radionuclide therapy, the, the dose rate is quite low. It's a protracted exposure over several days or weeks. And uh, then it makes that the biology at the end is different. And it's different because the cells probably have more time to repair some of their lesions. And they have also more time to express some protein signaling molecules. And that's why we believe that it has to be checked that, for example, the immune response could be uh, a major actor of the response to uh, targeted radionuclide therapy. And we are also um, talking a lot about DNA damage, and and you 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 were working on cell membrane. So, what do you think, both of you? I mean, in the physics point of view and in a bi more biological point of view? So I, I think from the, the physics standpoint and biology standpoint, there's many targets within the cell. And they may not all be equally radiosensitive. So it might be the cell membrane, it might be mitochondria in the cytoplasm, and it might be DNA in the nucleus all of which are targets, and there's plenty of data to show that you can impart toxicity if you apply enough energy to any particular target. Um, the trick is, in terms of predicting the outcome, is folding all those different toxicities together and then coming up with some way to predict the outcome for that cell or that population of cells that you're targeting. Okay. So maybe you want to add an example? Or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I, I do agree with uh, Roger that, uh, yes, now everybody agrees that we have to consider all the subcellular compartments, uh, yes, including mitochondria, cell membrane. It's true that at the end, of course, DNA remains the main target because most of the time the process ends with uh, DNA damage. But uh, it's also true that uh, yeah, using, for example, microbeam irradiation or even targeted radionuclide therapy, you manage sometimes to uh, 
uh, deliver a specific dose to a, uh, a precise subcellular compartment and it's a way to investigate uh, what could be the role of this subcellular compartment in the final outcome. But it's true that at the end it's a mixture because uh, everything communicates with everything. Then, yeah. Okay, so you talk about uh, iodine. I know that in clinic we use a lot of uh, lutetium, 177. And what about new radionuclide for the future? What, what do you think? Yeah, I think in terms of what radionuclide is the best, a lot of that is dictated by the chemistry. Yes. So chemistry plays a huge role. You need to be able to control where the radionuclide and its daughters, if it has them, where they end up. And chemistry is key to that. So. Um, the other aspect of the chemistry that's important is whether or not you have a stable form of it to learn the chemistry with. So one of the things that we heard in some of the talks here at this uh, program is that you take an element like actinium. Mm -hmm. There is no stable form of actinium, so the chemistry becomes very difficult. And even the longer lived forms of actinium that you can get a hold of are relatively rare and not easy to get a significant quantity of it. So chemistry, to a large extent, drives the radionuclide that you pick, because there's radionuclides with the different radiation properties that you want, and then it's chemistry that, in part, decides which of those that you pick. So it's a very multidisciplinary um uh, field of research with the chemistry, biology, and physics, and maybe you want to add something about radionuclides? Yeah, it's true that uh, yeah, we need to have available uh, chemistry. Of course, we need to have available uh, isotopes, but uh, because you were talking about new isotopes, uh, I think in a way that if we were properly using the radionuclides that are available today, and uh, because we have beta emitters, alpha particle emitters, then if we were properly using them, including, as Roger said at the beginning, beginning of the interview, uh, dosimetry approach, which are most of the time uh, lacking in the field of uh, radionuclide therapy, I think that we would manage to cover a larger field of the domain of cancer research. Of course, it's always interesting to have new radionuclides, but today there are quite many, and if we use them properly, if we include dosimetric approaches when we use them, uh, and radiobiology, of course, if we understand what, what happens in radionuclide therapy, I think it, it could be okay. But of course, we can we can always extend the field of new isotopes, and but yeah, from my point of view, I think we we should be able to, to do some work already. Okay. Yeah. And maybe what we didn't discuss is the, um, also the diagnostic approach because it's a therapeutic approach, TRT, but also we can use it for um, diagnostic and imaging. So what do you, what do you want to tell about, about it? Yes, so I can let you, if you, I've started each time, so Jean-Pierre, maybe you can yeah, start can, this time and yeah, I'll follow. I can say something, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think it's uh, an attractive uh, idea, of course, and approach, because it uh, allows to know where the radiolable vectors go and goes, and uh, if the receptor uh, is expressed by the tumor cells, but um, then everybody promotes the approach, uh, mainly for the pharmaceutical companies because they want to know uh, 
where the targets are. But I think in practice, the problem is that most of the time it's, it is just used in clinical trials. It's not used in routine anymore. And uh, I think it's uh, a pity because in our field, we really need teranostic approach to be able to develop uh, dosimetry, personalized dosimetry. And today in targeted radionuclide therapy, it's difficult to promote dosimetry because it's a lot of work. It's more complicated than in external beam radiation therapy. Then the teranostic approach is necessary, I think, but it's not always used because it's uh, time consuming. I guess it costs also a lot of money. And for the pharmaceutical companies, if we talk about uh, radio targeted radionuclide therapy, I would say that once the drug has been approved, they don't really need it anymore. If they have shown that the drug is efficient. Yeah, so I, you know, I think there's a lot of value in the, in the theragnostic approach. Um, it does enable you to identify some of the disease that you're targeting. Where I would really like to see the field go in the future, and I think it's particularly important for targeted radiopharmaceutical therapies, is the disease that you can't see. So theragnostic relies on the current imaging technologies that we use today in the clinic, and those have limited um, capacity to look at small disease. And I think we really need to develop approaches that enable us to look at the small disease, and in particular, the distribution of radiation dose amongst the population of the small disease. And only then will we have, I think, real cures. Um, with the targeted, or with the external beam, I should say, and with their agnostic approaches, you're treating what you see, and you can treat it quite well. But it's, the, it's what you can't see that often takes the patient uh, to, to yes, and to relapse and is where the main problems arise. And that's what we need to, to focus our attention on. Okay, so it's a bit answering my, my next question. So I'm gonna just to, to focus also on physical properties of radionuclide. We, we mentioned that they can emit beta um, particles, OG electrons and alpha particles, and we are a lot um, talking about proton therapy, particles therapy, external beam, I mean, with high LET, like carbon ions, and we don't, I think, I feel like people don't know a lot about um, radionuclide and, and the power, I mean, physically speaking, of high LET particle emitter, so w would you like to comment on well, I, I think with the, the high LET part, you know, that typically is going to involve alpha emitters or OJ electron emitters. With the alpha emitters, there was a history of perhaps misuse of alpha particles emitting radionuclides in the medical community many, many decades ago. And that produced a lot of fear of using them again. And it's only now that that fear is being overcome and we're fortunate that we now have an approved uh, agent, the radium-223, which is even furthering the, uh, the process of overcoming those fears and using uh, alpha emitters for therapy. But we also have OJ electron emitters, and Jean-Pierre, I'm sure, has plenty to say about the OJ electron yeah, emitters. Yeah, it's true that uh, what is interesting what is interesting with uh, the radionuclides is it's that uh, we have a range of different radionuclides. 
And finally, at the end, it's, it's not so difficult to have uh, particles with a high LET when we compare, for example, with protons. Of course, the, the application the, the won't be the same. We won't target the same disease, but targeted radionuclide therapy, for example, for uh, metastasis, for as a adjuvant treatment, uh, or situations like that can be very useful and uh, then I think it's quite interesting. It's true that for a long time people were a bit scared, but I think also it's because the, it's a difficult field because you, you need to have physicists, you need to have radiobiologists, you need to have chemists, and sometimes people are a bit scared about all that because it's a bit complicated. But uh, yes, I, I think at the end that uh, that's quite interesting. And as Roger said, uh, when the radium-223 was approved, it was quite interesting because it started from I, uh, it started from a small company, and they just injected it in patient. It worked, and after that, people understood that yes, it can be used in clinic. Uh, then uh, it's really promoting the field because people are more reassured. Also, it depends on the the patient who will be treated. I mean, sometimes people are. Yeah, worried about possible late effects, but I think it's okay. It's not uh, a major concern. Uh, late effects are concerned, but the, the late effects of radionuclide therapy has not are not worse or more yes. serious than after external beam radiation therapy. Then uh, I think it's really a question of culture. Uh, we need to have physicians that uh, promote the the field, and if we don't have the physician who are supporting the field. It's more difficult, but when the physicians are okay, yes, you, there, are, there are things that can be used. Okay. Uh, just to be clear, like for example, in proton therapy for brain tumor treatment, the, the LET is about 2 to 8 keV per micrometer. What is the, the, the LET of alpha emitter or OJ emitter? Just to be clear for people that it's... it's yeah. So yeah, so the LET of the alpha particles ranges from about 100 keV to 200 keV per micrometer. So it's, uh, so it's quite high, and it's right in that optimal range. Mm -hmm. Okay, and this is in, I mean, inside the tumor. It's 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 not for healthy tissue, right? Uh, it will, if depending on how good your targeting agent is. So. Yeah, there's no perfect targeting agent, and if you're going to administer systemically, you will always have some in healthy tissue and some in tumor, and you have to get the ratio of tumor to non-tumor as high as possible. But you will always touch the healthy tissue in order to get to the tumor tissue. And it's no different than external beam, it's the same. Oh, yeah. You always go through healthy tissue to get to, to your target. Yes, and uh, I just will mention for the OG electrons because uh, we are interested in that. But for the OG electron, it's between 4, 5, and uh, 25 uh, kilo electron volt per micrometer. Then it's quite high. Of course, they have a very short range, then they have to be uh, uh, delivered at the right place in the cell. Uh, but uh, yes, I think, uh, yes, it depends of course on the targeting, but yeah, I'm not sure that the, yeah, the, the targeting of the LC tissues is really uh, a major concern. We have some bone marrow toxicity, depends on the radionuclide, but yes, I think it's not worse than uh, with other forms of therapies, yeah. 
Okay. There's one other interesting point about the LET issue, is if you look at the track structure along an alpha particle track, mm -hmm. and you look at the track structure around an Auger electron cascade, such as you would get with platinum 193M, or 195M, or I-125, the density of ionizations around the Auger cascade quite exceeds that along the track of an alpha particle. And even in the densest regions along the track of the alpha particle, you have a, a situation where the Auger electron emitters can produce an even higher ionization density. Interesting. Yes, also if I can add something about, uh, yeah, also the difference, it's true that uh, you inject the radiopharmaceutical in, into the patient and all the tissues can be concerned uh, more or less, but it's true that the radiation is so different because it's a uh, low dose rate, it's over several days, then even in healthy tissues, the, the biological effects will be different than uh, if it was an acute dose, then uh, that makes also a difference. But it's a good way, radionuclide therapy, to use high lead particle. It's very simple. It's not a huge uh, building with, a, yeah, with an accelerator or whatever. <laughs> it's what I mean. Yeah. You don't need, you don't need, uh, yes. <laughs> no, it's very simple. You just need, uh, yeah. Okay, yeah. good. Um, just maybe to conclude, what do you see for the future of TRT, even if you, started mention some. Yeah, I think in the future, the best radiation oncology will be a combination of the external beam and targeted radiopharmaceutical therapies. Um, and that's when we'll really have um, radiation oncology from the cellular all the way up to the macroscopic tumor level. Yes. Yes. Yeah, I, I, would, I would make a bit the same conclusion. Yes, I think that uh, uh, we mustn't pretend that uh, targeted radionuclide therapy can treat all the disease. It's not true, but if it's well used in the uh, uh, right indications and if it's properly used, including dosimetry, radiobiology approach, and not anymore a radio, uh, um, radioactive chemotherapy approach, uh, I think it, yeah, it will work. There are no reasons why it will not work. But yeah, we, need just, we just need to define the field where it can be used. So with that said, one of the um, things that comes out with this is um, generally substances are distributed in tissues log normally. And that does pose some problems for the use of, of radiopharmaceuticals when you use only one agent uh, in a particular regimen. So I think long term, we're going to need to be looking at um, administering cocktails of agents in order to cover the heterogeneity of targets that are available on the cells that we want to, to eliminate. And that's going to, I think, be a really important role. And the, the regulatory aspects of that are very complicated because you'll, if you need several drugs at once, you know, you would have to get each of those first approved individually in the current uh, scheme. So it, it's a, it'll be a very interesting uh, couple of decades to come. And I think it really will make marked progress in, in, the, in the treatment of patients. Okay, great. So many challenges uh, ahead of us. Perfect. Thank you very much, Jean-Pierre. Thank you, Roger. You're welcome. Thank you for listening to this podcast. 
Brought to you by the Radiation Research Society, a nonprofit organization. The opinions expressed in this podcast are solely those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect the views of the Radiation Research Society or any of its officials. The Radiation Research Society, a nonprofit organization, was founded for the advancement of the radiation sciences. The primary fields of chemistry, biology, physics, medicine, and epidemiology come together for this purpose. The sole intent of these podcasts is to share knowledge and the latest scientific advancements from the radiation research community. To learn more about the Radiation Research Society or to access additional social media content, head over to radres.org. Subscribe today to the Radiation Research Society podcast series. Don't miss an episode.